good morning. We are glad to have you with us, if at least over the screen. Uh, hopefully this never becomes usual or comfortable. Uh, it, it is good to miss being together as a family, as a church, as a body, in person. Uh, so we are missing you, but we are glad to get to connect with you, at least in some way, here this morning. So hopefully you enjoy have enjoyed our musical worship and enjoy the rest of our time together as we dig into God's word. If you would, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We are going to be looking at that chapter today. While you're turning there, let me ask you a question. Are you almost at your breaking point? Maybe you've been trying to care for others during this time. Family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates. Maybe you've been reaching out. Maybe there's been things that have come up that at one point you had somebody else caring for your family, but now you're having to take that burden on. Or, or maybe it's the reversal of that. People are being cared for and you were able to come and help and now you can't see them. Now you can barely interact with them. Maybe there's conflict, fights within your home. Maybe you're overwhelmed with work. You, you feel like you're doing more and more. You're trying to be faithful. The work keeps piling on. Or, or your boss seems to not be hearing your statements about having too much. Maybe you feel like you're modeling Christ. Or at least trying to model him. Trying to live for him. In a watching world. Trying to speak the truth of the gospel to those who would come in contact with you. And feel like it's falling flat. There's no interest or even negative reciprocation on their part. You're tired. Now you're worn out. Doing all that you can and not feeling like it's enough. Faithfully ministering to those around you but growing weary. Feeling like giving up. You're close to losing heart. And almost ready or maybe even already have thrown the towel in. Statements like living for the Lord and caring for people during this time is just too hard. Or I can't do it anymore cross your mind or dwell within your heart. This morning, hopefully as we look through 2 Corinthians 4 together, we find hope for those losing heart. Let us read the passage together here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if, you, if you'd like to stand to make it feel a little more like we're at church, that's great, you can do that. Uh, but let me read for us here, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. We, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying around in the body of the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake 
so that the life of Jesus also may be, may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with him into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to, to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the hope it gives for hurting people, for those who are at their wits end, those who are worn out and weary and tired and have nothing left. Let us find hope in you. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. As you read through 2 Corinthians, you might find it's sort of like getting CC'd in the middle of an email string. You, you, you sort of read the email and you're like, okay, I think I know why I'm on here, why I've been added to this. Uh, here's my takeaways, but why did they say this? What, what, what are they doing with this? What do they want me to do with this? How should I respond in this? I don't know the history of what's going on here with all this email. And so you, you scroll back down and you read all the previous emails that were not sent to you. And in the same way, we want to look a little bit at Paul's history with the church of Corinth because it is big. Paul planted the church in Corinth and he started discipling the believers there. He spent two years building into them, devoting his life to them. And then persecution came and he was forced to leave the church. And after leaving, he hears about sin. Actions of sexual immorality and deep sin being allowed to stay in this church and it, it hurts him deeply. So he writes a letter. We, we don't have this letter. God sovereignly has not let us have that in the New Testament canon. But 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11 talks about this previous letter that he sends. Exhorting them to change, to, to deal with this sin, to stop allowing this in the church. In response to this letter then he gets other letters. And he gets actually personal people coming and talking with him and telling him about the problems in the church. And so he writes the book that we have called 1 Corinthians. In there, he tells them more and exhorts them more to live differently, to look differently, to live for the Lord. And yet they still do not listen to his guidance. In fact, it gets so bad that he actually chooses to visit and come to the church to exhort them in person. But at his time there... They not only do not listen to him, but people within the church belittle him, doubt his apostolic authority, and he leaves in shame. To this, in his departure, he writes a severe letter. He calls that in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. We don't have that letter either, but it was something that brought him to tears. It was Paul boldly and bluntly stating, this is unacceptable. You must repent. You must change. And then Paul and his broken heart for this church waits. He finally meets up with Titus, who he sent with this letter, and to hear back what's happened. And he hears that they've repented. That for the most part, the church has turned and changed and wants to restore relationship with him. And to that, he writes the book of 2 Corinthians. 
The, the main point of the letter would be Paul expressing his love and care for the Corinthian church while further engaging them and encouraging them to heed his message and apostolic authority it came from. Paul sees his message as inextricably linked to his ministry. That's why he so vehemently fights for their recognition and submission to his apostleship that he fears they might abandon the very gospel that he gave them in this. And so he extols his ministry in much of 2 Corinthians, especially in the section that we're going to be in today. He talks much about his ministry. Prior to this in chapter 3, he's been comparing the old covenant with the new covenant and these two ministries that occurred and the one that is veiled and shadowed. He talks about Moses on Mount Sinai going up and meeting with Yahweh and coming down and having to cover his face from the people because of the glory he sees of God. And this old covenant not fulfilling what is necessary. The new covenant, though, having come in Christ, the glory of God himself present among us. And the hope that we have. He ends this chapter in this way. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. That leads into chapter 4 where we're going to be today. Our main idea for today, if you're taking notes, the main idea is how not to lose heart as you minister to those around you. How to persevere And not get overwhelmed and burdened and break down as you care for those God calls you to care for. And so this morning we're going to focus on four actions. Four actions of the minister to help you not lose heart as you persevere in ministry. Four four steps God calls you to take so you don't lose heart as you live for the Lord and care for others. The first action God calls us to is practicing the habits of the minister Practice the habits of the minister. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. Paul says he has this ministry. What ministry? Back in chapter 3, this, this glory that's been given to him, he is called to shine and share it out. That's the ministry he's received. And so he's called to give this out. And it says he doesn't lose heart. And he's going to build on how he doesn't lose heart says, verse 2, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in crafty, craftiness or adultering the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul renounces the shameful, sinful actions that he's been accused of. He's been accused of many different things, some of which were gaining fame and popularity simply for ministry. He used his ministry to, to grow himself. To grow his name and his glory. Or that he used the ministry to make money off of those he was ministering to. Paul denies these things and he actually appeals to their conscience and says, How have you seen me do this? When did you see this? In what way have you experienced this? Later on in chapter 12, verses 11 through 18, he would again appeal to their conscience. and What are you seeing in me that would cause you to say this? Or what did you see in Titus that would cause you to say this? And they come up empty. They, they have nothing Paul in every way has lived as a model before them, loved them, sacrificed himself for them. Paul's point here is that false, sinful, selfish actions done looking like we are living for the Lord and helping others actually lead to a betrayal of the very message we claim to speak. They harm the gospel. He talks about adulterating the word of God. Our lives and actions, if they are not aligned with God and his word, do more damage than help to the ministries we are seeking to do. 
can you say with Paul, you're functioning faithfully for the gospel in the sight of God and others, or maybe this time has revealed some really hard things for you. Maybe you've seen some, some idols in your heart, some things that you wanted so deeply you would have never even been able to verbalize them, but, but now during this time you're starting to realize that you can't have them and you want them, and they're idols. They're things that you've clung to, ulterior reasons and motives for, for why we do what we do. Maybe you're starting to realize why you live for the Lord and cared for others was more than just these good things, but because you wanted to have people like you as well, or have people think that you've got it all together, or have a peaceful, calm environment around you, or to amass things that would make you feel secure, or to have those around you just be happy, or, or maybe yourself be happy, be comfortable. Maybe you've realized that when you've been praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, you've actually meant, as long as that fits into my will, my kingdom, my plan, God, if, like me, you realize that your heart has been tempted to move toward glorifying yourself, to making much of you, to, to seek after my glory, your glory instead of God's, there's an answer for us. How we're called to respond. If, we, if we've not been faithful like Paul here, how do we respond? We, ref we confess. We repent. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We, we come to God and we say, God, I've been living for me, not you. I've been doing these ministry, good-looking things for, for me and not you. Here's what I've been wanting, what I've been striving for instead of your glory, your name. Please forgive me. That is how ministers of the glory of God to others Stand innocent in the sight of God and others, like Paul says. They run often to the cross. So that's our first action. Second, we're called to remember the heart of the minister. Remember the heart of the minister. And Paul talks about three main truths here. Paul's ministry has been sharing the gospel of the glory of Christ. And so Paul talks about these three things that he seeks to remember during this time. First, Paul remembers it is not his job to save people. Look at verses 3 through 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. These others do not see because they are blinded. They are inhibited. There's a spiritual battle taking place in their hearts. It's not going to be solved with getting more knowledge. It's not going to be solved by, by talking louder at them or, or having better arguments. There's nothing that's going to open their eyes except for a miraculous healing. Jesus, the one who brings sight to the blind, must enter in and work. For them to see. Second, Paul remembers it's not his glory at stake. And it's not about making much of himself. Look at verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. His focus is on G Christ's glory, Jesus' glory being what shines through his life and message. That is his whole focus, his whole purpose. There is nothing else. He's not here to be served or to be honored. 
In fact, he says he is a slave, a bondservant to others for Christ's sake. That is why he is here, to glorify Christ and to serve others. He walks humbly, only seeking their greatest good and coming to know and enjoy the glory of Christ for themselves, as he has. And third, Paul remembers it is God alone who opens blind eyes and causes dead hearts to live. Verse 6, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Paul refers back to Genesis 1 here, where God speaks everything into existence, including light. It's the process of God's glory being given to a believer, and it's no less miraculous than the very start of creation itself. He opens blind eyes to stare into the face of Christ. He quickens dull minds to understand this knowledge of the glory of God. He is the resurrection and the life for both the physically and the spiritually dead. How do we respond then? How do we respond when we're trying to live out the gospel or, or share our faith with someone, an unsaved friend or family member, neighbor, family member, a neighbor, maybe a child that's walked away. They, you've been rejected. Maybe you've been mocked. Maybe you've been belittled or just simply ignored or sort of shunned. Do we get angry or upset when they don't understand or respond aggressively toward us? Do we give up? Well, they'll never change. We need to respond differently. Remembering these same three truths. First, they are blind. We should hurt for them. They are missing out on the one thing that could actually satisfy them in this life. The glory of Christ and they are empty. Second, we don't take these things personally. This ministry is not about us. It's always been about Christ. Ask God to help us have his eyes and his heart for people. To persevere in loving them even when we are hurt or treated as lowly servants or slaves in the process. And third, we have received a knowledge and joy in the light of God's glory only by God's grace. So only will they. We should expect no differently. We should cry out for God to open their eyes. We should persevere at living differently in front of them. And we should keep speaking the truth of the gospel, of the glory of this gospel to them. As we have opportunity, hoping that one day God might open their eyes and bring them to a saving knowledge of himself. That is how those ministering to others remember the truths of what God has done for them. Third, we embrace the hurt of the minister. Look, at me, look with me at verses 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, jars of clay, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Christ's sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death works in us, but life in you. 
Paul's purpose here is that God would be shown great. Not instead of us, but through our lack. He refers to us as these earthen vessels, these jars of clay that are housing the glory of God within ourselves. God wants to be shown great in our lack. The light of the gospel has been given to us to be shown out from us to others. And notice it isn't shown out by ornate, beautiful, strong, masterful, good-looking pots. These are not gold pots or cast iron pots. These are weak, plain, ordinary vessels. God's glory shines through your lack. You don't have to have it all together. God didn't choose you to do this ministry of gospel shining because you were awesome or perfect or because he expected you to get awesome or get perfect. God chose you because you were weak, the jar of clay. Your goal in life is not to fix yourself or to get it all together or to make yourself look good. Your goal is to let Christ shine through you in your lack. And notice this too. The light shines all the more as we the pots are beaten. As we are getting gouges and cracks. Where the light is able to start shining out all the more. That this vessel is not made to be whole, but to be broken. And the more it's broken, the more the light comes through. As the hard times in life come, the pot cracks all the more, and the light of glory emanates out all the more, that Christ would be seen in us in spite of our brokenness. He comes through our brokenness. Oftentimes we, we run from the hard things, or we just try to get through them, or we certainly don't understand them, but there is a purpose to them. God is using them to crack your clay pot all the more that he might be seen through you. That his light would shine out through those cracks in your vessel. Our job is not to run, but to submit to the potter. Embrace the hurt knowing that it is God's greatest kindness toward you. More of him, less of me. Paul believes this. His belief in this is threefold. Verses 13 through 15. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. These three truths, these three truths that Paul clings to, he will be presented joyously faithful. Those around him will be blessed by seeing Christ pouring out of his broken life. And God will be glorified as he deserves. All the more as people with opened eyes see him through Paul's broken life. Those are our hopes as well. 
as we experiencing these, as we are experiencing these hardships, these beatings, these these breakings, these cracks in our outer shells and our vessels, when when the things go wrong, when when the thing that was possibly canceled is now lost forever, when, when another month is given that we still have to continue on in this, when relationships seem to be deteriorating more and more, and there's no hope for fixing it, we we cling to these three truths with Paul. God is working for our highest joy. For others' greatest good and for God's utmost glory. That is where Paul stands, what he clings to, his belief. And that is how we are to embrace the hurt that comes as ministers of Christ to a watching world. And point number four, the action we're called to look to the hope for the minister. Look to the hope the minister. Verses 16 through 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, but through, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul says, Our bodies are deteriorating. We we feel the effects of sin and being poured out in ministry. And yet we can have this inner renewal, this inner rejuvenation that comes. But but where does it come from? How, How do we find this? I would suggest it comes from how we view our circumstances. Paul sees his circumstances as light and momentary, but only because he looks in the light of eternity. He weighs the cost and benefits of each of these things, these options, the hardships versus eternity. And he says, the hardships are momentary and light. Unless you think he belittles hard things. Just a few chapters later in Romans or in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 29, here's what he states of these little, light, momentary things in his own life. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Paul was experiencing great sufferings. Not only did he experience physical pain and the fear of future pain, fear of loss, fear of death, his plans were changed. He had caused to be emotionally frazzled. He was often not able to be with those he loved. People didn't like him or treat him well. He had false things said about him. No one appreciated what he was doing. Maybe some of those things sound a little bit familiar for you. Maybe those are echoes that resonate in your own heart right now. And yet Paul 
takes all of that and he contrasts it and he says, it is as light and momentary with eternity, which is weighty. A momentary, temporary thing with something that lasts forever. Something that is is light and empty versus something that is weighty and has substance, has value to it. He says there is this glory of eternity that is coming and it is far beyond comparison. It is far better. But how does Paul come to this? How does he see this? Paul changes his view to change his feelings. Paul uses his spiritual eyes instead of physical ones. He focuses on what will last. He chooses to act based on those beliefs and truth of what is eternal in spite of what he's presently experiencing. So the question for you is where is your focus? Are you so overwhelmed by the chaos of this life and changes happening and losses suffered that you've lost sight of that which is greater, that is still to come. You are here for something far more valuable and lasting than this life and these things. We must fight to focus our eyes on eternity, on the things that will last. What are some ways to do that? Here are just a few suggestions I would have. Spend time with the Lord. Time in his word. Time in prayer. Meeting with the eternal one starts to change your view of what is important. And you get his eyes, his view on eternity. Second, fellowship. Find ways to connect with other believers. Being open about your life and the struggles and the hard things you're going through. We need people to speak into our lives, other believers, to take God's word and apply it into our hearts. Applying it in the truth to us that we need to hear the hope that we need to have and we don't have any. We need the body of Christ. If you're not involved in a care group or some sort of connection to our church, I would encourage you, do so. Get connected. Find fellowship. Have people reminding you of truth. And third, memorize scripture. Verses like 2 Corinthians 4.17. This momentary light of friction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Would be very helpful for you. God so often brings to mind truths of his word as these rocks that we can cling to. When the storms of life come and the waves threaten to overtake us, we cling to these rocks of word that he's given us, his memorized truths to us that carry us and allow us to weather the storms. Find his word and cling to it. As you seek to persevere and not lose heart, make sure you also look to your future hope. Life can be so hard wearying, overwhelming, especially for those seeking to live faithfully, to love the Lord and care for others. Paul was no stranger to this. May these four actions be applied to his, that he applied to his life, give you the same hope to persevere and, and not lose heart, but to continue to press on as you minister for the Lord and those around you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the hope that we have in it. 
that the light of the glory of your great gospel of Jesus Christ, there's this future glory to come, the glory that we have within ourselves, that we get to have shining out to a watching world, this glory that we've been given. Lord, thank you for that. Help us not lose heart, but look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we would not lose heart, but instead we would persevere. We thank you for Jesus. We pray this all because of him. Amen.